Well, when the piano started playing, I realized I was early. <laughs> we don't have a piano across the street in the youth building. <laughs> um, I'm Matt Wright. I'm the student pastor here, if you don't know who I am. Um, I've been here about two years. In fact, uh, Don told you earlier that this is Davin's anniversary. It's also my anniversary. Um, <laughs> We share, we share anniversaries here. Um, I'm just one year older, I guess. Um, so if you have those cards, gift cards, cash, anything like that for Davin, give it to me. I'll make sure he gets it, all right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm honored to be able to speak today. Um, as the youth pastor, whenever I get the opportunity to speak over here, not only do I want to bring an a ch- inspiring, challenging word um, from God's word, but I also want to take advantage to be able to let you know a little bit about what goes on across the street over there because I know from my perspective I get buried over there and don't see a lot that goes on over here and don't get to know a lot of you guys um, unless you have teenagers and from your perspective I would perspective I would assume that you don't have a clue what we do over there Um, and most of the time we try to keep kids from tearing stuff up and um hurting themselves, you know, breaking their arms and stuff like that. We do the best we can. But uh, more than that, we, it's about worshiping God over there. Um, we have Sunday school over there where they're in classes studying his word. We have worship service um, on Wednesday nights where, yeah, we have fun and play games, but we worship God and we have a message. And then we even have discipleship classes on Sunday night where we have a lot of students come back for specific um, opportunities to, to study the word. A lot of what you hear about teenagers in the news and just probably in talk is usually pretty negative. Um, And let's be real, teenagers do some negative stuff, but I believe we have some amazing teenagers across the street. Yeah. Um, Last weekend was was very exciting as it was Disciple Now weekend. We had 143 teenagers up here to study the Word all weekend long. I, last Sunday, I didn't even know the results because I had to let the leaders tell me what happened, but we had many kids make decisions to leave some sin behind and move forward and live for God in the here and now, and more excitingly, we had two students pray to receive Christ last weekend. Praise God, yeah. This morning, we have a handful of teenagers serving in our children's ministry right down the hall. In fact, we have 40-plus teenagers on a rotational basis that serve in the children's ministry on this side of the street, serving him, taking time out of their life. The mission trip that Don told you about earlier, um, the kids have been wearing me out. Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we going? What are we doing? Because they want to know. They're lining up to go on missions and to serve God. We have amazing teenagers across the street. And so that said, I want to share a message with you this morning that I shared with them last semester. Um, we did a series called Going Places. And in this series, we went places, not physically, mostly through video, and determined what God wanted to teach us. We went to Vegas, and as you can imagine, we looked at sin there, and it says what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and does that line up with Scripture? Clearly not, and we had challenged our students to deal with the sin in their life and getting it open and confessing it to God. We looked at the unknown in the darkness, which can be a scary place, especially here on earth, but if we put our faith in God and let God lead us into his unknown, 
That can be an exciting place of ministry and opportunity. And then we looked at going fishing. We may have some people in here that are real fishermen. I'm not one of them. And this morning, we're going to look at going fishing for Jesus. And so if you're one of those fishermen, some of my illustrations may not be exactly true. I'm not really a fisherman, so I'm going to do the best I can. And so I know even in our student ministry, we have some of our high schoolers that are on the fishing team at school. Did you know that was a thing? I didn't. But they go out there on the fishing team at school. And so we have some real fishermen here. I grew up at the lake. Um, I wasn't really into fishing. I was into the skiing and all that wakeboarding, tubing, that kind of stuff. But being around the lake, you're going to hear the fish stories. One of the fish stories that I think you probably hear on any lake of any size is always the giant catfish over by the dam. You with me? The dam gets a crack in it. They have to send scuba divers down to go and fix it. And when they get down there, they get so scared because the catfish are as big as a Volkswagen bug. I've heard that one several different stories. I don't know if it's true or not. I've actually heard it exaggerated to the catfish were the size of a school bus. I hope those catfish don't exist, not in the lake that I swim in. But uh, you hear the fish stories if you're around the lake. Just this summer, I was with uh, my kids, my twin brother and his kids. So there were four kids from the age of four to seven fishing. Okay, so we're out on the dock, and as you can imagine, we're just constantly baiting hooks and trying to keep the hooks in the water and not in a little kid, and just fishing, fishing, fishing. We're not having a whole lot of luck. Um, you know, we're trying to make it a little bit easier, so we're throwing out the fish food, right? <laughs> Bring the fish in. They're four, five, seven, right? It's okay. Um, and finally, uh, one of my boys hooks a fish. And we get excited, and I go over, and I'm helping him. And it's a pretty good-sized fish as he reels it in. And right about the time it gets to the dock, it flops in the water, and we see, yeah, that's a good fish. But while that's going on, my twin brother's little girl has one of these little Barbie fishing poles. You know what I'm talking about? And she's got her hook in the water, and bam, a fish hits hers. And so now we got four kids, four fishing poles, four hooks, and two fish all at the same time. And so we're getting them in, and sure enough, we get the net, and we pull the first one in, and it's a big catfish. And then we pull the second one in off the Barbie fishing pole, and it's a giant carp. And so we finally get them all in. And as you can imagine, the excitement of everybody running around, the mamas coming out with the cameras, taking the pictures, it was exciting. Everybody loves to catch a fish. You may not love to fish, can be boring at times, but everybody loves to catch a fish. And so this morning, we're looking at fishing, what we can learn from this. And so we're going to jump to God's Word, and we're going to look at Jesus calling his disciples to be fishers of men. So if you will, open your Word to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat 
and their father and followed him. So this is the story of, of Jesus calling his, his disciples. And he says two parts. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And these two parts are critical to what we need to be doing as believers and disciples of Christ. And so the come follow me, they responded immediately. The scripture says the first time with Peter and Andrew that at once they left their nets. With James and John, it said immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my life when God tells me to do something, immediate is not always my response. If God tells you to do something, sometimes you're like, really, right now? Well, what about after the kids are older? What about after I get a promotion at work? What about dot, dot, dot? You fill in your blank. And we put it off. We don't always respond immediately. But here in this story, the disciples are setting the example for us to when God calls to do it immediately. And so they do. They come, follow him. They drop it and follow and then the second part of it is to be fishers of men, to be fishers of men. And my guess is when you think about the disciples, and as Jesus was saying, come follow me and I will make you a fishers of men, they got it on some levels, but they really didn't understand the calling that Jesus was giving them. Like they were fishermen, they knew how to fish, they knew who men were. Maybe they understood that Jesus as a religious figure would be asking them to go out and find more people, they might have got that. But when you think about the ministry and the calling and what the disciples actually did through Jesus' ministry and after his death and ascension, I don't think they had any way to totally understand what it was really meant to be fishers of men. The good news is when Jesus called them, he didn't say, come, I'll make you fishers of men and shove them right out in the boat and say, go do it. He spent three years training them. Three years developing them and getting them ready for it. And so I want to take us through Scripture and pull out some of the stories where Jesus' interaction with the disciples were training them to be fishers of men and how we can look at that and apply that to our lives as we are called to be fishers of men as well. And so we're going to start with Jesus' first miracle. You know this miracle. It's uh, Jesus is at a wedding and they run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says... They've run out of wine. Can you do something about this? And of course, we know he performs the miracle of turning the water into wine. There's one passage in here in John chapter 2, verse 11, that I think we maybe overlook sometimes. It's very critical to the development of the disciples. John 2, 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the first sign where he revealed his glory. The first sign where he showed a glimpse that he was the son of God. The first sign where he shared with the world, I am the Christ. And it said the disciples believed. Many people actually think that this is the record of the disciples' salvation. This is the time where they accepted and, and put their faith in him. That's debatable, but nonetheless, it is a time where it says they believed. They believed he was the son of God. They believed who he was and they decided to follow him and put their faith in him. And so that is the beginning of their journey. And so we as Christians, if we are going to be fishers of men, we must believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah. We must believe in him and accept him as our Savior so that we can go out and be fishers of men. A little later, Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching, and we pick up in Luke chapter 9, starting verse 18. Once Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. He's in the, he's teaching with them, he's talking with them, and he asked them this question, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter gives the right answer. I think about this with my son. My son, Connor, accepted Christ at a pretty young age. And when he accepted Christ, I didn't just go, yay, he's done, it's over, he's got it all. No, he has to learn and grow and mature in his faith. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians that we have to work out our salvation. Does that mean we have to work for our salvation? Of course not. Salvation is a gift from God. Does it mean that we have to keep doing it over and over and over so we don't lose it? Of course not. We can't lose our salvation. When it says work out your salvation, it means to grow and learn and better understand your salvation. And so as Connor as a little boy prayed to receive Christ, he understood it on the level that he could understand it. But as time has progressed, I've continued to have conversations with him. I've continued to read God's word with him and help him grow and work out his salvation. And when I ask him about his salvation and who God is, he can tell you that Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. I've asked him into my heart and that's why I'm going to heaven. And he's learned more and more as he's gotten older and been exposed to more. And so that's what I believe Jesus is doing here with the disciples is he is growing them. He's teaching them, helping them understand more and more who he is. He's God's Messiah. And so after believing him, we must know him. We must grow in our knowledge. We must understand and know who he is, know his character, know about him. And so that's step two. Moving on, we get towards the end of Jesus' life. Uh, they enter the room and, and their feet need to be washed. And there's some conversation about who's going to do it. And Jesus ends up saying he will do it. And Peter uh, argues back. And as you can imagine, Jesus won the argument. And as Jesus, after Jesus has washed their feet, we pick up in John 13, chap, uh, chapter 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the, his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so he looks at them and says, I've washed your feet, you should do the same. And then he says, I've set an example. Follow my example. I think this is bigger than just this moment. Yes, in that moment, he has set the example of servant and being a leader at the same time by washing their feet. But in the bigger picture, they've been with him for three years. They've witnessed his life. They've witnessed his ministry. They've witnessed his miracles. 
And so I believe that Jesus' bigger picture here when he says, when you've seen what I've done, you should do also, is you've been with me, you've seen what I've done, you should do also. The bottom line here is if we want to be like him, we have to be with him. If we want to be like him, we have to be with him. And so being with him in the 21st century looks like studying your word. It looks like praying. It looks like coming to corporate worship. It looks like being involved in a small group, being in a fellowship of believers and spending time with him so we can understand who he is. If we don't understand how he's going to act and how he's going to respond, how can we be like him? And so part of this process starts with believing and then knowing and understanding him and then just being with him. And this takes time as we grow and mature as his disciples in the Lord. And then we're going to look again in Luke 9, and I call this the midterm. Jesus is with his disciples, and he decides to give a test, to give a midterm exam. I don't know about you, but I've never taken a test that I liked. I liked when I took my driver's test and I actually got my license. I liked when I took my last test in college and got to graduate, but actually taking the test, nobody likes a test. We get nervous. It takes a lot of hard work, but tests point out where we stand. Tests point out how much we know and what we're ready for. And so Jesus gives his disciples a midterm exam in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they, will, so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And so this is their test. This is their practice. This is getting ready for what's to come. And he sends them out and he gives them specific instructions how to do it. Send them out in pairs. He sent them out with the power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And it says they went proclaiming the good news and healing people. And so they went and they practiced. We actually hear a story where they're trying to cast out a demon and they say, why can't we do this? And Jesus had to step in and, and fill that space for them and help them understand what they were doing wrong. He's teaching them. He's preparing them for the ministry to come because there's a time when Jesus isn't going to be with them. And they're going to be all on their own with the job of spreading the good news. And so they had the test so they could practice, so they could get it right. I think about my cousin. His name's Morgan. He's a high school age now. But at the time when he was younger, he was all about fishing. He wasn't very good, but he was passionate about it. And his mom would let him go out there as a young elementary with his fishing rod on the dock and he would fish from the bank or from the dock over and over and over. And he didn't care if it was cold outside or if it was hot outside. He didn't care if it was raining outside. If he was at the lake, he was going to have his hook in the water. He didn't catch very many fish. 
but he was always practicing and practicing and trying and trying and trying. I remember one day when a neighbor across the street had an old John boat, and he told Morgan, you can have this John boat so you can go out in the deeper water. At this point, he was probably older elementary, younger middle school, and so he got that John boat, and he drug it by himself all the way across the road. I'm sure that's good for a boat. And he kept going all the way through the yard, trenching up the yard. And finally, he got it in the water. Now he's big time, right? He can take this boat that has no motor, of course, and get all the way out in the middle where the big fish are. And he went out there and he got his hook in the water, caught nothing. (laughs) But he was practicing and he was trying and he was working at it. As a high schooler now, he brings people down there and fishes and he's pretty good now and he teaches other people. When he was younger, he was passionate about it. He practiced, he practiced. And now he's pretty good. This is the disciples. They're practicing. He sent them out two by two to all the villages to proclaim the good news and to heal everyone. And they practiced for what was coming ahead. But in the meantime, they still had fruit. They still had fruit. Because when you're practicing, it's the same as when you're doing the real thing. Fishing requires effort for God. Now we're all commanded to fish. Very common passage, a lot of you know, Matthew 28 says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey my commands, everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This command was to the disciples, but it's to all believers. If you're a believer in this room, you have Jesus in your heart, this command is to you to go and make disciples. It's not optional, it's a command. But again, just like the disciples, he doesn't leave you out on a limb, he gives you the power to do it. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. All power in the entire earth. More power than we can possibly imagine living inside of us if you are a believer in this room. And so God gives you the command. He gives you the power. Now all you need is opportunity. All you need is opportunity. And it's everywhere. All around you. The disciples immediately found opportunity. Peter finds himself preaching in Acts chapter 2. Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Praise the Lord is right. 3,000 were added to that number today. Who knows how big the crowd was that he was uh, preaching to, but 3,000 responded. Now, most of us in the room probably don't want to stand up and preach to a crowd of 3,000 plus. That would be scary, but that's not the calling that God has placed on your life, more than likely. More than likely, he's placed a calling on your life to go to your neighbor, to go to your coworker, to go to a friend, somebody you work out it with at the gym. God's placed a specific calling on your life, and that is your opportunity. That is your opportunity. Are you looking for it? 
I remember one time before we had kids, Jessica and I were driving in the boat, and I saw an opportunity. I wasn't looking to fish. I saw an opportunity to fish as a two-liter bottle was swimming across the lake. If you know anything about two-liter bottles, they don't swim. But this one had been bottle fishing. You tie a rope to the bottle, drop the hook down in the water, and put some bait on it. If you do enough of it, you might get lucky and catch a fish. Somebody had been doing that, and this bottle had swam away from the grouping and was swimming across the lake. Opportunistic, I went over to catch the fish. So I drove the boat over there, and as I got close, the bottle went under the water out of sight. We started looking for it, and way over there, it popped up. Wow, it's a big fish. It's a big fish. Now I'm determined. It's an opportunity that I'm not going to let go. I'm going to catch this fish. So we got a fish net out of the bottom of the boat, and we're driving, and every time we get close, boop, bottle's gone. Bottle's gone. And so my plan is, hopefully, I'm going to be able to get close enough, and as that bottle sinks, I'm going to dip it with that net and catch the fish. 30 minutes later, I think the fish got tired <laughs> because finally the bottle didn't go as deep, and I was able to hit it with the net, pull it up, and it hits the top of the water. Splash! It is a massive fish and so I'm going to get it in the net right so pull it up put the net underneath it and the fish lays across the top of the net now if you're a fisherman in the room you can make fun of me later <laughs> I'm sure there's better technique but at the time I didn't know it and the fish is laying across the top of the net flips around hook comes out of its mouth splash in the water oh are you kidding me the opportunity was there. The fish was out of the water, sitting on top of my net, and it was gone. And I mean, I don't know. It could have been a 15-pound catfish, 20, 50, 100-pound. I don't know. It was big. But I saw the opportunity swimming across the lake. There's opportunities that you see every single day. There are fish that need to hear about Jesus swimming in your place of work, swimming where we, you shop for groceries, swimming where you do life. Do you see them as opportunities? You have the command. You have the power. You have the opportunity. Are you going to take advantage of it? God's calling is two parts. Come, follow me. Many of us in the room do a pretty good job of that. But the second part is to be a fisher of men. Many of us don't do a very good job of that. We sometimes make it too complicated. And there's lots of systems out there, the faith, the EE, whatever, all the systems we come up with to share the gospel. But it doesn't have to be that complicated. All you have to do is share your story. What Jesus has done for you, how he's changed your life, how he died on the cross to forgive your sins, how he was raised from the dead to give you hope in life and eternal life. Share your story and it can change their life. Fishermen make it complicated too. If you're a fisherman in the room, you probably have a big boat. You probably have 
nice rods and reels and you have all the gear that has the depth finder and you test the water temperature and the fish finder and stuff I don't even know about. But you make it complicated and I'm sure some of that works. But it doesn't take all that stuff to catch a fish. My other cousin named Kyle was about five at the time and his dad had him out on the dock throwing it out and Kyle's reeling it in. His dad throws it out and Kyle reels it in. And after a while, the five-year-old does exactly what you would expect a five-year-old to do. He doesn't give it to his dad. He pushes that button. What happens when you push the button? Bloop. Goes right back in the water, right by the dock. And his dad, as you could imagine, is like, Kyle. And before he could even take it away from him, a fish hit that hook. They pulled it in. It was about this big. But it wasn't complicated. He pushed the button, it went in the water, it caught a fish. That little bitty fish hangs on the wall in my uncle's house. Because <laughs> it was his first fish. And it wasn't complicated, it wasn't hard. He just had to get the hook in the water. Have you caught your first fish? Have you ever caught a single fish. A lot of times in a church, we do a good job of the come follow. We don't do a good job of the fishing. And here's what it looks like. There once was a young man who called himself a fisherman. He lived in a place where there was lots of fish. His house was surrounded by lakes, rivers, and streams. The fish around him were very hungry and very easy to catch, even for a beginner. Day after day, he talked about fishing. He even formed a group to get together to talk about the fish and how easy they were to catch. He read books about fishing. He knew everything there was to know about fishing. He got so excited one day that he wrote songs about fishing. He then shared them with his friends. They enjoyed them so much that they started meeting every week to sing these songs and talk about fishing. The problem is, this young man and his friends, they never met fishing. Sure, he would go out to the river, take all his gear, even get ready to fish but he never went fishing. He would check the water temperature, watch the fish swim around, and make sure everything was perfect. He looked like a real fisherman, but he never fished. I know that's a little silly, but in the church, we do the same thing, and we look silly too. What about you? Are you a fisherman? Do you come? Do you study? Do you worship? Do you sing? And then leave these doors and don't tell anybody about it? Or are you a fisherman where you come, you prepare, 
you worship, you get ready, and then go share it with the world. That's what we're called to do. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this morning, I challenge you to not only believe, but to know, to spend time with God, and to go do something for Jesus. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to issue a challenge this morning that if this story is you and you have come to church for a long time, for a short time, whatever, but you've never been fishing, to repent from that this morning and commit to go share your story. As the band comes to sing, the altar will be open, ministers will be standing down front. If you need to give your life to Christ, come forward and talk to one of us. If you need to pray at the altar, come pray at the altar. Whatever you need to do with God, do business with God right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. We thank you that you sent him here to set the example of how we should live. God, I pray for each and every one of us that are believers and have received the call not only to follow you, but to be out fishing for men. God, I pray that we would take that serious, that we would live our lives attempting to follow that command to the best of our ability. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.